Welcome to the Kinja's Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the fuck we want. Folks, today we have back in the pod, we have Philip Chabib, aka Pac-Man. This was a really, really, really dope conversation. The first time we had him in the pod, he got a lot into his creative process, mainly with dance and his creative process with that. But he's been in a different space these days. He has a uh, new social media platform, The Missing Self, where he goes into a lot of like controversial topics where he debates with himself with things that are kind of hot topics from religion, relationships, politics, and things like that. Yeah, you know, th- this is such a powerful pod, and I-, and I can't wait for everybody to get a chance to listen to this, because this what this turned into like therapy for our, us. 100%, you know, we were just yeah. here talking about things that honestly, like, more people just need to talk about. Everybody out there, just put your like your thinking caps on. Be open to like really, really deep and complex conversations. But just know that like by the end of this pod, all it made me want to do is straight up be a better person. To just think better, to do better, to challenge myself, you know, to understand and empathize with people more. And uh th- this is a powerful one. So, you know, hope y'all enjoy. Let's do it. Folks, welcome or welcome back to Kinja's Movement in the Shadows. We are your host, Ben. And Anthony. And today we have a returner, homie, back in the pod. It's been a minute since we've had him in. We have dancer, choreographer, artist, director, movement designer, writer, and thinker. You may recognize his work from So You Think You Can Dance, seasons 3, 4, and 5, and choreographing on it for season 11. And you may recognize his work from the Step Up movie, Step Up Revolution, Step Up All In. He's worked with a ton of artists such as Justin Bieber, Ed Sheeran, Taylor Swift, just to name a few. Co-founder of Axism. We have Philip Pac-Man Chabib back in the pod. Good to be here, guys. We weren't sure if we can call you Pac-Man still, but you, you, uh, I think you we've absolutely can. That uh, yeah, it's it's weird for me to call you Philip. It's, yeah. yeah, it's inherited in. So yeah, you you guys are allowed to call me Pac-Man. Dope, for sure, dope. Yeah. Well, dude, welcome back to the pod. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking back. You were actually like one of like our early guests. I think it was 2019. Yeah, it's crazy. Before the craziness. Before the craziness. Before the craziness. Yeah. And, and uh, so if you guys are curious, so we got your origin story and all that stuff in that previous one. So if you guys are curious, you can go back to that other episode and listen to that. But uh, we just wanted to catch up with you, man. I mean, you just said it, right? The, the craziness that we just kind of came through. Um, I think as we were just even talking upstairs before we started rolling, we everybody kind of experienced COVID and, and quarantine lockdown and kind of came away with a lot of different sort of takeaways and even social ways to interact socially. And mm-hmm. it's been a really weird time. And, and I think, yeah, this is the first year that it feels kind of like normal, like we're kind of back out and yeah. finding our normal rhythms again and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, let's just start there, man. I mean, mm-hmm. like, how however deep you want to get into it, sure. you know, like, how was it for you for, like, kind of going through lockdown to mm-hmm. where you're at now? Um, yeah, I think one of the 
I mean, obviously, people have different experiences with the lockdown. Obviously, if you were sick or knew someone who was sick, you had a very different experience than if you were just, you know, locked in a house for a long time. I think for the people who weren't confronting the worst of the illness, I think there was a an interesting metamorphosis that happened. And it was something that I think my wife and I experienced while we were, well, before. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Thank yeah, you, guys. You got we'll, we'll get into that because that's, that's a blast. So, yeah. So, yeah. before she was my wife, we were in lockdown out in um, Houston, I think. Uh, it was Moon, who had just come from China. So he had like mm-hmm. a heads up on it before anyone in America really knew about it. And he was calling me. He's like, we're leaving China because we're trying to get out of it. Wow. And he came here and he's like, you should start preparing because it's going to come here eventually. So we were kind of like a couple weeks ahead before anyone was really talking about it. And immediately we were like, okay, if it, if this goes down, we're going to drive straight there. And they live at like have a plot of land in the middle of nowhere. So we knew we would be like isolated and mm-hmm. good and, and all that stuff. So so that's what we did. We ended up driving out there, spent two months out with the family out in the middle of nature. And, and it definitely provided us a break from our, you know, the normal hamster wheel that you're in. Mm-hmm. And I re- you really start to realize that your social pressures really do create your interests and your behavior. And they're like motivating most of how you're living your life. And I think most people felt, and I might might be wrong, but I think a lot of people felt as though they got to build new pressures from scratch because there wasn't like your job expecting you like a lot of people in our business even were like i just wait for the next job to tell me what to do and now there was no next job so it was like what would you choose to do with your time right if there was no one telling you what to do and i think so many people found new crafts that they were interested in like new interests that they got to pursue guilt-free because yep. they didn't feel like they were missing out on something mm-hmm. or that yeah. Like they were falling behind, which is such a, an American idea is like, you, you know, you just can't ever just sit still. So I thought that was probably the biggest thing for me, because what I ended up really digging into for myself was um, philosophy and psychology. And it was something I've always loved. I always really wanted to understand, like, what makes people tick. It was actually probably what even I obsess over even in my art, which was like understanding what the psychology of the audience. So that's what I spent a lot of my time doing. And it was it was really rewarding. It was it was crazy. I would basically write six to seven hours a day. I would work out. I would have like proper meal time. Like, basically, mm-hmm. my life was exactly the way I would have it if there was no constrictions. What, what are you writing for six to seven hours a day? Well, I, I mean, don't even I don't even write. I type. So I mean, what do you do? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I was typing. I was typing okay. for that long. Yeah. God, I wish. I <laughs> you know you do not want to see my handwriting. I can't even understand it. So that's so that I've moved beyond it. But um, no, a lot of it was. I genuinely just wanted to understand people. I realized that there is there is so much that we don't understand about each other and ourselves. Right. And clearly, like a lot of the you know the most effective treatments for a lot of the you know mental illnesses that we're suffering from, and even on the gradient, you know, we all suffer like these dips into depression and anxiety. And I just wanted a better grasp on why those things are happening and whether there might be like a, a different paradigm that might better serve people who are trying to help themselves rather than just you know rushing off to you know medical interventions and things mm-hmm. like that. So. I wasn't planning to be like a savior or anything. It was just pure interest. Mm. And I still feel that way. I just have, I'm just immensely curious to find out the, uh, the little things that we don't fully understand about our own brains. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I just spent a lot of time doing. I see your creativity, even in your curiosity of uh, digging into human psychology and things like that, and then creating uh, interesting content. Cause you're not just like writing and then um, just talking to a camera. Cause even the way that you do it is very, artistic like the 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 arguments with like the chairs yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and you're like i'm like how are you even able to know which chair to look at i'm like it's just done in such a way where um it's very profound and 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 as you were even saying earlier like um 
potentially controversial and yeah. things like that. Um, but it's also done in a way where it's it's artistic. And so I'd love to like tap into that. Like how do you approach creating in a space that's like outside of physical movement gotcha. and, and where you're using your your thoughts and your words and then obviously trying to put it out in a way where people can digest it and mm -hmm. also like appreciate the artistic value in it. And, yeah. and for everybody who's listening to what Ben's referring to when Pac's talking to a bunch of chairs and stuff, you, you created The Missing Self, which is a, a different IG account where you kind of mm -hmm. discuss all of these things. So if anybody's interested to go check that out, at The Missing Self is where you're going to see all these types of controversial topics and conversations. But yeah, back to how you think about that. Yeah, it's interesting how, um, and I think you guys might have felt this as you go into different crafts too, how much the the general technique that you use for your dancing or your choreography can translate directly to almost anything else. Once you kind of take apart the surface level decoration of it, you're like, oh, there's there's some similarities. The one thing that was unique to talking versus dancing that I thought was interesting was the when you're dancing, um, you're basically providing emotional fuel to your audience, and then they can go take that fuel and do whatever they want. They can do nothing, they can do something, but it provides them the leverage emotionally to go and do the thing, and that's why they feel very fueled by it, you know, whether, you know whatever emotion that is. And then I realized with talking, the, the tricky part and the reason why it's much more vulnerable to criticism is that you are directing their energy towards a specific place. And if they don't like where you're directing it, it has a direct conflict with their belief system, mm -hmm. right? Like they're go they have a momentum in a direction and you're saying, hey, and you're slapping it in a different direction. Where with dance or any sort of like visual medium, you're just providing them more fuel to go in the direction they're going. Typically. And it's so subjective, right? Exactly. So that way mm -hmm. they can use it how they want. It's really like the audience uses it as a tool for their own life. Where the other one, you're, you're really creating conflict in their brain on purpose so that they can choose a new direction that's best for them uh which is which is why i think that that's kind of what provides the controversial aspect of mm -hmm. it is that uh people feel that conflict within themselves when they hear these these topics talked about and then have to do something with it so it's almost a job that you're giving the mm -hmm. audience rather than like boosting their energy which is why i kind of like the way that you do it though because you're you're almost uh talking to other versions of yourself yeah almost creating space so that it's not as a viewer what i'm about to think based off of what you're saying is being addressed by what your other version of yourself is saying so you're not like one person yeah. pack who's saying this is what i believe you're saying like hey this is pack this is what i believe but then other pack is like well what about this though and then it, it creates conversation even mm -hmm. though you're one person yeah but that's almost like what as a viewer you know my mind is already right. about to do Yo, and, and that's amazing that that, that is because honestly realistically what i want to do with the missing self is have people stop identifying with their thoughts and let them engage with ideas without like all their identity because i think what this is kind of what i see happening in the past few years is people got inundated with information on social media. There's just so many people telling you how they're living, how they're right. doing things, right? And most people's go-to protection is like, oh, well, you don't look like me, or you don't have the same gender as me, or you don't do the same job as me, so you can't understand me, which is a good protective maneuver because then you're like, oh, cool, I don't have to confront all these people's ideas because I'm not like them. Mm -hmm. But the problem is then when they want to be understood, no one will approach them anymore because the assumption is like, oh, they can't understand me. So now you have these people isolated in a bubble and all they want to do is act, they actually do want to confront these ideas that they have, but they've already closed themselves off with these like belief systems that are like, nope, I, it, empathy and understanding is impossible because we have like surface level arbitrary differences that we can't get by. And because of that, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life, just messing around in my own head. Right. Mm. And the whole point is we're supposed to have this like social dialogue so that we can escape our own bubbles. 
And that's exactly what those arguments are, at least for me, is to let you know, like, I can have 40 opinions that exist in my own head, and I'm one person, and I'm okay with that. Whatever I'm using to guide my life in this particular moment doesn't have to be what I use tomorrow. Um, it's I'm constantly updating that belief system based on the evidence being presented against me. And I think maybe that might be why some people are finding kind of solace in it is because I think people really do want to question themselves. They're just, it's just conflicting with the societal belief that if someone's not identical to you in every way, their opinions don't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I'm trying to play with a little bit. Hopefully that answers the question. No, absolutely. Yeah. So like, you know, as you said, you kind of isolated yourself. You're out in, you said in Houston. Oh yeah. During the pandemic. Yeah. During yeah. the pandemic. Is this kind of during that time was, were you kind of just like brewing on this? I was, I was bringing on a lot of things. I mean, it's, it's weird what your mind will do when you have a lot of time with it. But I think realistically what I was trying to create was an, uh, a paradigm of understanding how basically the human mind works so that I could understand why is there conflict between people? Like what exactly is happening in your mind that doesn't let, allow you to let other people's information in? And is that healthy or is it not healthy? And what is it providing you? And um, there's like a long thing. I've been writing this book for a very long time and the book basically outlines, you know, how the, the center focus of our mind is essentially based on a certainty, uncertainty cycle. We're constantly trying to take in, you know, the unknown and then convert it to certainty. And as long as that cycle goes continuously, we stay in a pretty stable place. But if we stagnate at any point, like we have too much certainty and we stop reaching out towards uncertainty, we have trouble. If we have too much uncertainty, we get overwhelmed. We start to have trouble. Mm -hmm. And a lot of like, the uh, mental illnesses that we suffer on the lower gradient happen because of this, at least in the psychological sphere, it happens because um, people are either avoiding confrontation with the things they're scared of, which then it festers into fear and then it becomes like a boundary they're not allowed to cross in their own head. Mm -hmm. Or they're so uncertain that everything is impossible to attach to and they can't learn anything because it feels like there is nothing to hold on to. So understanding that that's like the core of what's going on in our brains at all times, then you can start to see like, where am I suffering? And how can I like adapt and adjust my life in a way that allows me to incorporate more uncertainty or more certainty to get that flowing again, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, that's like the most reductive way to explain it. But wow. once I kind of created that paradigm, I was able to describe basic life events in a way that made more sense to me. And that's why I started sharing it. Because mm -hmm. I was like, I think that this method might provide people more options than what they currently have to make sense of the world. Two thoughts just came to my mind. One, you are extremely eloquent, and I'm thankful for that, especially <laughs> yes. on a you know talking platform. Kill Two, yeah. <laughs> I'm super glad we haven't started drinking yet because goddamn, this stuff is deep, man. You gotta hang on and process. You yeah, know? yeah. But, um, it, is that not extremely taxing for you? I mean, I, I, I watched some of your procedure. You, you're reaching out to your audience and your fan base. You're asking them di about different topics that you want to argue with yourself from like six different perspectives. You're putting in the time to like damn near script your conversation in a way that is empathetic to a wide array, a, a, array of opinions. You're sitting down, you're filming this thing, you're textually writing things out too so that it's like you know uh, available for people to kind of rediscuss rethink about in your stories and stuff is that not taxing taking on such complex thought realms with a lot of different people and a lot of people that are like you said inundated with their own belief systems yeah like how, how do you it's a lot it's it is exhausting i think it's exhausting on two levels on, on an emotional front which is something i think we're all lucky that we've confronted a lot of like social media hate because we've just been in the public eye, even in our small way with dance. Sure, yeah. So I think that prepares you initially to 
you know, confront conflict. The other thing is I grew up in a household that's arguing all the time. Like pretty much every day of my life as a child, I was arguing or listening to arguing. And it was just the way our house functioned. Like productive debate, mm-hmm. debate arguing that like made you I, I, Not always, like... not always. Sometimes it was unreasonable or irrational, but it, but it put me in a situation to understand how to interact with people that are defiantly stubborn with, of their own beliefs. But it was just, it was just consistent. It was just always how, that's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't resent uh, any of my family for that. It just... Hap, that was my family yeah, dynamic sure. so you know it's just what it was. some people have like hilarious families they're making jokes and then they grow up to be really funny and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know mine just happened to be that we argued a lot so it was mm. it was if anything i think seeing conflict i think i interpret it in a as a as a positive it, this is what it is i think when people are angry they're exposed and that exposure opens them up to possible connection because when you're angry you aren't putting a facade on which means that we have a good chance that if this anger promotes the right conversation, we'll be closer because of it. Mm. So, like, when someone gets angry at me, I'm like, God, this could be a great opportunity <laughs> yeah, to that's, get closer. That's quite uh, optimistic, <laughs> though, because it could also promote such bad conversations. Oh, oh yeah, right? absolutely. With yeah. somebody who if, doesn't have the... 100%. You know, if, yeah. if you don't handle it well, you can completely ruin the... But it's just like anything else. I mean, it's like a, like an animal that you're trying to feed and it's terrified of you. You can easily... It could bite you or you could develop a friendship with it. And it's all about like how you approach uh, the animal. And I think that's kind of how I approach conversation too. But yes, but to answer your question, it is taxing. And I think the benefit to me is I always wanted the opportunity to get a higher education because I went to physics engineering school, but then I dropped out for dance. And I thought because I think, you know, universities do a great job doing an education, but it's very linear. Like you can't control like what exactly you're learning. Right. In this case, the weird thing that I'm hoping I eventually produce is a self-education based on feedback. So like when people disagree with me, I get excited because it allows me to refine something. Mm. And it's almost as if if I do that long enough, I'll have more stable arguments for the things that I believe in and I'll actually be more educated as a, as a mm-hmm. consequence because if someone brings up something I've never heard, I was like, okay, now I have to read a book on it mm-hmm. because I don't know exactly what they're talking about. So it, it forces me to self-educate. So I've treated it almost like that's what motivates me to put that work in because it's like, oh, this is, you know, instead of, you know, $300,000, I'm going to just put the work into this and get people riled up enough to tell me what I'm doing wrong. And then through that process, I'll get smarter and I'll get the education I wanted. Again, for everybody who's listening, you know, and and hasn't gotten a chance to follow some of the topics you've discussed, Mm -hmm. can you uh, list a couple of things that you have discussed and then let us know which one has created the most either buzz or like conversation or or disagreement? It's interesting. It's actually funny that TikTok ended up being, and this is recent. So all of this is fairly recent. I decided at the beginning of the year that I was going to take this super seriously. And now I'm making like, you know, four to five pieces of content a week and at first I did it on Instagram, but the organic reach is tough. So I started putting it on TikTok and, and it went, the argument specifically went crazy mm-hmm. on, yeah. on TikTok. And I was like, okay, cool. And it ended up being, usually what ends up happening is it's topics that people are extremely passionate about. Like one is really, the religion one did extremely well. It got like over a million views. And it was just, uh, basically, um, there was like two chairs that were supporting roughly the idea that religion has some value in society. And the other side was uh, explaining how, um, you know, scientific reasoning is more than enough to replace religion. And um, so you went straight for the honeypot, right? You yeah, went straight yeah. to science versus religion. Yeah, and honestly, and it's I mean, I I have a big fondness for both, and I found that like I I went to a Catholic school growing up, so I had like enough religious education to kind of get a basic idea of where the value was on that side. And then uh, obviously, I was a physics engineering major, so I have immense respect for science. So I was like, okay, this is something I can probably tackle and not feel insane doing. 
the cool thing about those is that they're not complete arguments. Like most every chair has flaws in their arguments, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the point. It's mm-hmm. it's to catch. Honestly, the point is to catch people up to speed with where they should be between the two arguments, so then they can have more intelligent arguments after. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, what usually happens is, let, let's say I believe that science is better than religion and God is not real. Let's say I, I just believe that. If that's the case, then I'm going to look up all these videos where I see a scientific thinker de- demolishing a religious thinker, yeah. right? And then just seeing that that asymmetry of power, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, science is better. And it's going to validate your exactly. It's gonna va- Exactly. But if I can see them debating so quickly against each other to where, like, I can't fully say that there's a dominant force, well, then now I can have a civil conversation about it because it's it's too hard to negate all of those counter arguments that I just saw. Mm-hmm. And usually when we see arguments, not, there's never a case, I mean, very rarely will you see a case where two debaters are equal in their ability to articulate themselves. Mm-hmm. So I try to provide like a fake version of that, where like the two sides are somewhat equally capable of articulating the argument so people can just calm down, <laughs> basically. Yeah, that, that yeah. is that takes an in- extremely intelligent voice to be able to manifest and, and, and traverse through such such conflicting topics yeah you know no uh, it's it's hard. I, I mean i don't know if it's intelligence but it's definitely exhausting uh emotionally sometimes because you do like i i'm i'm releasing one on the patriarchy tomorrow which is going to be fiery as hell i'm sure yeah, it's gotta um, be yeah um but it's it is hard because you you have to deeply empathize with both sides to a point where you can feel what they're pulling from when they're angry or they're upset um, so I think in that regard, it's it's exhausting. But intellectually, I think it's, I don't know, I find it fun, actually, that that part is fun to me, trying to figure out how both sides can win, basically. You, you were talking about how you, you kind of, uh, well, you're inviting the feedback, right? Because you're saying that gives you an opportunity for you to learn something from them challenging your beliefs and yeah. things like that. And And, you know, you were talking earlier about social media and just like, um, just yeah, like it's it, the 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 rabbit holes that we can kind of get into, and um, you know, just yeah, looking at everyone's you know sort of highlight reels, and also just these highly polarized um, viewpoints, whether it be political, whether it be religious, or whatever. It, it, there's a lot of essentially risk in deciding to like throw your hat in the ring. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you know what? I want to I want I want to talk about this stuff. You know, there, there's like safe ways to talk about things, right? You want to be kind of politically correct or whatever it is. I feel like you're going into it pretty raw. I mean, when I look at those the arguments, like I'm like, yeah, this is kind of like you're unfiltered in your head when you think about things. Mm-hmm. And like when we question things or when we disagree or agree with things, we're unfiltered up here. And I felt I feel this unfiltered flow of thought in watching those. And I think people in general are probably a little bit hesitant to let their unfiltered thoughts out for the world to judge you. It's like, oh, so is this how you really think? Yeah. And it's like, well, is this not how you think? Yeah. You know? And so I think there, there's like that risk that you're taking, but it's also in this like age of social media safety and nobody wants to put anything out that's potentially cancelable and all yeah. that. Yeah. It makes me feel uncomfortably comfortable watching it because it's like ooh, this is like this is kind of real but i'm like i'm glad this is happening because like this is probably what we're all kind of afraid of right now you know what i mean and so what was the thing that kind of 
gave you that sense of boldness to be like, yeah, let me just let me put this like this type of stuff out there, especially during a very sensitive time. Right. Yeah. I, honestly, the more support you have near to you, I feel like the further you can reach outside of yourself. And I think with Mackenzie, my wife, I think she was the the seed of support that allowed me to like grow in a direction that I could speak more freely. Because I knew once I knew that like our relationship was so solid that I was like, no matter what I say, if I speak like my truth or whatever, um, she's going to be there. And I and as long as I know like the cornerstones of what make my life valuable to me are protected, I felt like it would be wrong of me to not express myself the way I you know, I want to. And the other thing is the other thing that I think protects people, but it it's a mental switch is to know that it's a long game. If you're okay, it's actually funny. This also re- resulted in dance too. I forgot exactly how it was put, but people go through waves of disliking you and liking you. And if you could, if you can weather the storm of the moments they dislike you and prove to them and to yourself that you can evolve over time, it, it changes the, the public opinion of you changes over time because they understand that your intention is positive. Mm-hmm. People want to assume the worst about your intentions at the beginning, and that usually scares everybody off, right? It's like you say something controversial, and they're like, "Oh, he must be an asshole for some reason." And if you take that to heart, and you just get, you know, you'll get loaded with all these things, mm-hmm. then of course, you know, you're going to be like, "I'm done. I'm not going to do this again," and I'm I'm threatening my security. And some people's jobs are at risk too because you right. know, like you know, yeah. they'll get fired for things. So I think in those situations, it's it's a little different. Like you, you do need to somehow protect yourself in a way that you feel comfortable with. But I've felt an immense sense of peace being able to just speak freely about things, and also to let people know that I truly empathize with both sides of every argument. And I'm just really trying to get down to what's the most effective way to live our life. And maybe it's different for everyone, which is also a good answer. But it's like, what is what is it for everyone mm-hmm. um, individually? And I think that's still like a, a worthy cause to explore, but you can't explore it without saying some things that are going to like step on some toes. It's just impossible. Right. Yeah. right. So through the pandemic, uh, I think it was very, and I'll, I'll just speak from my own personal experience, and I'm sure that you can find your way to relate to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, so much had changed and the world's perspective on things and the way people were choosing to share those perspectives was changing and stuff like that. I was very fortunate enough to like get on to, you know, uh, more regularly join the cast of like JK News and stuff. And yeah. uh, I'm so thankful that you reached out that one day message and just said that, you know, it was very refreshing to be able to have people just like kind of, you know, uh, comedically talk about real things sometimes. Unfiltered. Kind of, yeah, yeah, unfiltered. Yeah. Just kind of be normal in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, through a lot of my own experience, even with that, just topics of discussion, you know, fan feedback, the comps and stuff. It actually, for me, painted a picture on like how much of like a bubble or like dance world kind of is in and the perspectives of it. I think an easy way or vocabulary to use would be like, it's very, very liberal, right? Like yeah. uh, if we were to point it that way. Yeah. But I think it's a little bit more than just that, just the way that like dancers are meant to like share and perceive and express things. And yeah. maybe we're like hypersensitive and all that yes. stuff. Yeah. Where, ha- because you're obviously a, a a pillar of our dance community for, for so long, you know what I mean? Like where have you found um, either common ground or or some sort of, you know, reaching outside of the dance bubble perspective on things if that question yes. makes sense yeah i mean I, I think you're you're spot on and, and i don't think it's only um i don't think it's only you I, first of all i think the fact that did you get a lot i'm just curious did you get a lot of negative feedback from jk news posts i never got a lot of negative feedback but i what i realized for myself was being um cautious 
to dive into the same types of comments and topics mm. in the same, you know, vigor that uh, my, my, you know, yeah, my yeah. co-hosts, co-hosts and, yeah. and people were doing, right? And it was because I, f- I, I had to acknowledge how I grew up in, in our dance world and there's certain things in certain ways, yeah. especially trying to be a leader in the community too, that like you want to make sure that you're presenting a truly safe space and yeah. super inclusive. You don't want to offend anybody, you yes. know what I mean? But at yeah. the same time, yeah, to have honest and unfiltered conversation in a way that progresses uh, society, yeah. that, that's, that was a new dynamic I think I was le- jumping into and learning. No, no, you're right. I mean, you're right. There's the, absolutely, and I think it's the artist community in general. Obviously, we live in California, which is an amazing place. I don't want to live anywhere else. It's incredible. And I, I still like align myself with a ton of liberal values. But I think that there is a sensitivity that is, I think, dangerous to uplift all the time. I think the sensitivity to conversation is just not healthy. And uh, a lot of times we lose the ability to understand context, which is, I think, the reason why I think I love JK News is because the context is that you guys are having fun. You guys aren't trying to hurt somebody. And it's so clear because of the context that I don't have to take your words apart and then create like a malicious narrative around what you're saying. Right. And the same thing for me is like if the if the context is curiosity, there's no reason for someone to take me apart and do that. I think we've lost the ability to understand context and we're trying mm. to pick a pick apart a word we don't like and then associate it with the person and be like, ah, that's a person I don't like because of a word. And I think that is a sensitivity of our particular, you know, it could be our the dance world or it could be the artist world. It could be in general, I think I think people who are higher on the uncertainty spectrum that like are, are constantly up, uh, like looking for novelty and new ways of doing things. I think they tend to look for security by picking apart words because they're everything's so uncertain in their life that they want to take a, a singular word out of someone's sentence and define them as quick as possible because they don't want to look at the complexity of the person because it's exhausting because wow. their whole life is complex. And I think that's why most artists have that have that tendency. And I think I'm fighting that because I love novelty too. We, we all do. That's why we're in this business. But I think to some degree, I need to fight that and also be able to like continuously stay open to the complexity of a person and be like, all right, they said this, but there's a million reasons why they could have chosen those words. And the meaning underneath those words could be very personal to them. I'm going to look a little deeper before I decide, oh, they you know, said one politically incorrect term that they must be a terrible person. Mm-hmm. I think knowing that that's what's happening, I'm less affected by it when it happens and realize that it's just something I, I think I want to be a, like what you guys are doing. I think being a voice to help people understand context yeah. rather than always just picking apart the words. I do think context is a great way to describe that too. And, and when when you mentioned that your context is curiosity, I totally understand and I see that and, that, and that's, you know, that, that's better for the people who also have that same context in their own selves mm-hmm. if they're curious. Because yeah. it's different to be curious than to be a judge, right? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's so easy, especially in the keyboard warrior generation that we're mm-hmm. in, that like there's definitely more judges out there yeah. self-proclaimed than there are people that are like yeah. truth-seeking or curious or just want to learn, you know, yeah. and step yeah. outside their own I understanding. That's, that's interesting, like this concept of needing to judge. I'm trying to like deduce it down to like, what is it? that makes people feel like they need to have an opinion about somebody? Is it because like, I need to know whether I wanna be around you? Mm-hmm. Um, is it like, it's like it's like a self comforting thing, right? I, I think the confusion, well at least this is one of the reasons, I'm sure it's multifaceted, but for me, one of the biggest reasons is that people cannot, uh, so what what I consider cancel culture to be a social pruning, right? So they're, the, 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 the mob or whatever is trying to tell the person or tell people 
but use the person as an example of what they should and shouldn't do and what the world is comfortable with. But right. the problem is they're casting judgment not on the act, they're casting judgment on the person. And I think a lot of times the con- like the the joining of an action and an identity means that it's that person is that action for the rest of their life, mm. right? And that it destroys the person right. because now the person has no way to move up in the world. They are that action forever. Where if you detach it and be like, that action was bad, you will pay repercussions for that action. In that case, it's good to judge ideas. Mm-hmm. I actually believe that. I think if someone proposes an idea, you should engage with the idea and then understand that that person, 10 minutes after you understood their idea, might already have a different one. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to keep attaching it to that person right. anymore. That missing link for me is 100% the thing that mm-hmm. I, I think is causing the most amount of confusion because it is totally fine to judge ideas. It is very weird to judge people because people are so fluid that you don't even know if you're judging the person that's alive right now or just the person in your head that you think they are. And I think that at least for me is like one of the main reasons why we right. deal with that contradiction all the time. Right, now you bring up a really good point. I mean, the ideas are shaped by our experiences, right? So we are receptive to the way that we are brought up, people experience different types of traumas, Mm -hmm. people have different socioeconomic uh, upbringings Mm -hmm. and and current situations, and that all shapes the ideas. But we as the person, we're just like the vessel that's constantly cycling through new ideas. And, and, you know, for most people, um, we're able to change our ideas. We're able to like, hey, like I, you just shed some light on that thing that I didn't, you know, I've never heard that perspective before. Now let me sort of like rethink and reframe. And so like, yet, you know, when when we talk about all this, like the the canceling culture is like, okay, now that this person has been caught or whatever, having said this once upon a time, it's like, you're done. But like, what about like restoration culture? Like, where is the, like, let's restore this person. I mean, like when people go to prison, you know, like you essentially after they do their time, you want to sort of restore them back to society. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a whole other topic, but like, but, you know, I think there is this quickness and maybe it is because of COVID and, and just like everybody needing to, because there's so much uncertainty, like it makes me feel better to like, do something in a way where it's like, yeah, we all agree, right? Like that's not good, and let's mm-hmm. let's let's can't and it, because there is so much uncertainty. Like I need to feel certain that that is wrong, that person yeah. is wrong. That somehow makes me feel better. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, remember, like even uh, at the top of the pandemic, you know, with even things like you know, uh, like BLM and stuff like that, mm-hmm. there was also a point where if you didn't post an opinion on right. something, yeah. you would get called out for yeah. it. Yeah, you know, and uh, and even if you did. Yeah, and if right. you did, you yeah, know, so yeah. it's kind of like it, same thing on that Catch-22, I think it like really even built this just fear that maybe also was one of the fastest that led to people being like, okay, I need to choose a side on stuff. I need to like speak my mind and say something and stand up because what happens if, and, and this is probably the worst reason, but what happens five years from now when somebody looks back on my Twitter receipts and they realize I didn't stand for that cause, mm-hmm. right? You know, and yeah. I didn't say anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and it's kind of like, and that's still what we're facing even today. You know what yeah, I'm saying? That's, sure. It's just a thing. So I I kind of, uh, I'm not saying I understand uh, and I accept, but like, I kind of get sometimes why people do have that feeling like they need to formulate their opinion right. and have an understanding on a topic. If the, if the whole world's talking about a to- talking about a topic, it's like you, you kind of need to pick a side, even if you know that your yeah. side is the, I'm not picking a side. Like you just have to know that, right. you know what I mean? You yeah. have to know these things for some weird reason. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, a lot of it is too, I mean, it's 
it's tough. We, we get so influenced by culture, we don't even realize it. I mean, like, 100%, yeah. I think everyone during that time became, you know, historic scholars overnight because we were <laughs> learning so right. much about the history of our country, about the history of race relations. And we were trying to make sense of what was happening, especially from an outside perspective of not being black specifically. And, um, and it was just like, you know, it was a, it was a task that we all had to do. It wasn't like someone you, you couldn't avoid it. Like you needed to learn it, which I thought was a beautiful part of that movement actually was the fact that everyone was forced to actually look directly. And I'm all about confrontation. So for me, it's mm -hmm. like, look directly at the problem and start trying to work towards a solution instead of avoiding it co consistently. So I thought it was really valuable in that way. I think where it, it potentially got dangerous was only when people couldn't speak anymore. I think that was the only problem. Right. I actually think that to a large degree, it promoted a lot of awareness. Uh, I think it was only when people could now that they were all educating themselves and they had a lot to say and they were like, okay, cool, let's figure this out. It became actually, no, you're not allowed to talk about it. And I think it's not just like not racially divided. I think like everyone felt that. Right. Like whether you were black or white or Asian, it didn't matter. It was just like, it was hard to speak about it and not piss somebody off. Um, which I think goes back to that same thing where it, it the identity attached to the idea, we couldn't engage in a space of ideas without having to know what mouth said the idea instead of just being like is the idea effective mm -hmm. and i think that's the only thing that i i wish existed more yeah plus even if people were trying to say things in the context of curiosity you were still going to get your first 15 comments of people being straight judgmental yeah you know what yeah. i mean like yeah. uh wanting to be that person who would throw in a one-liner that yeah. like that just would get crush. hundreds of likes to just crush your moment yeah you know what yeah, I'm saying? yeah 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 100 percent. there is a and this is this is not my particular theory or anything, but there is the thing that I think a lot of people, especially younger people, want a cause to stand for. Right. And they they want purpose in their life. And I think there is a devoid. A, a lot of people are devoid of purpose in this cur current moment. And especially if you're younger, you're still developing your sense of self. You don't really know what you want and things like that. And I think a lot of these causes, instead of being about solving the problem they become an opportunity to be important um and it becomes like a self-serving like i'm going to go out there and be a savior instead of being like what do i have to do to be part of the solution and i think that um that aspect of it i think creates a lot of those really judgmental comments because they're like i'm gonna write the comment that stands up for the for mm -hmm. whoever they believe they're standing up for mm -hmm. whether it's you know the environment or whatever it's like they're standing up for the little guy and they get to be a hero for a moment in that position but they actually provided no actual movement towards a solution yeah um and i think that's the difference like some people are really trying to solve it and some people are just want to feel good about themselves mm -hmm. and yeah it's unfortunate unfortunately wow. <laughs> What's up, guys? This is Ben here dropping in to say we hope you're enjoying our chat with Philip Chabib. If you want to hear the second part of the conversation, head over to the feed right now and part two is right there waiting for you.